A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Hello, I'm Tim Farron and welcome to the show which delves into the mucky business of politics through the eyes of Christians. You might well think that politics is tainted by compromise and sin. Well, of course, you would be right. But then again, so is everything else. And I think we should be praying in an informed way for our brothers and sisters who operate in the world of politics. Today, we'll be joined by Andy Bevan. He's the Chief Advocacy and Impact Officer for the charity International Justice Mission UK. We'll look at the controversy surrounding Qatar hosting the Football World Cup and what we can be doing about some of those justice issues. But first, last week we saw the Iranian football team standing silent during their own national anthem prior to their World Cup game with England in Doha. This was a hugely brave act in support of the anti-government protests in Iran, and it could well put them in grave danger on returning home. In their second game against Wales, the Iranian players did sing the anthem, or some of them did, but it looked very much as though they did so under pressure. Being at risk because of expressing a political opinion in that way is a basis for granting refugee status. But the Iranian team could not seek refugee protection in the UK, should they want to, unless they had somehow already got themselves onto UK soil. And at present, there is no safe and legal route for them to get to the UK. Those players would have no choice but to arrive another way, for example, on a small boat across the Channel. Indeed, Home Secretary Suella Braverman has admitted to the Home Affairs Select Committee that there is simply no way for most people to seek asylum in the UK outside specific resettlement schemes for just three countries, Afghanistan, Syria and Ukraine. But there will always be people who need refugee protection from a range of countries where there is not mass displacement. People who are at risk because of their political opinions, such as in Iran, are among those who would benefit from a functioning asylum system that individuals can access without having to risk their lives on the sea. The topic of asylum and immigration is hard to discuss without stirring up high emotions. Human nature is to ally ourselves with those who we think are like us and to distrust the unfamiliar. I'm sad to say that some in our media and in Parliament fan the flames of these insecurities by using the terms illegal and invasion to encourage suspicion of anyone seeking sanctuary in the UK. The assumption is that people only want to come here to take things from us. In reality, though, under the Refugee Convention, it is not actually illegal to enter a country to claim asylum. More thoughtful commentators ask how we can take in more people when we don't seem able to support our own citizens. Well, this view is supported by the sight of people queuing at food banks, unable to access timely medical treatment or to receive the support that their children need in school. But we should also remember that there are political priorities at work when deciding how to fund our public services. And in reality, they have not been adequately resourced over the last decade and are now struggling to cope, whether we have refugees here or not. The truth is that people around the world face many trials and persecutions that we are fortunate not to experience in the UK. And our understanding of God's love for all people made clear in the Bible offers us a real challenge as we seek to engage with these issues in a Christian way. Personally, I don't believe in a migration free for all. There does need to be appropriate control. 
but I can't support an asylum policy that is driven by a divisive assumption that refugees are aliens seeking to invade our shores, especially when a hard look at the facts show that most of the time, 60% of European countries take more refugees per head than we do. Leviticus 19 reminds us of God's heart of compassion. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. Jesus also taught that we should do to others as you would have them do to you. We're all part of the human family, bearing God's image, regardless of our race, religion or gender. And a compassionate response is something supernatural, ultimately coming from God. Human beings will often seek to preserve and protect their own interests to the exclusion of others. But this should not be the way of those who follow Jesus. In his book, The Air We Breathe, Glenn Scrivener says that God's compassion flows down and out and that it flows to the down and outs. It meets the people in their weakness and then raises them up so they might share the blessings far and wide. Let's pray for our government and our nation to have a compassionate response to those genuinely seeking asylum on our shores and for us as Christians to model the love of God by caring for all his people and desiring for them the same freedoms that we ourselves enjoy. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Well, so to our guest this week, Andy Bevan, Chief Advocacy and Impact Officer for the charity International Justice Mission UK. Andy, it's an absolute joy to have you with us. We'll start with what we normally start with and a question about you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and in particular about how you came to faith. Well good morning Tim. Uh, it's great to be joining you today. I live up in Edinburgh. Uh, I've lived in Edinburgh for the last uh, 10 years or so and really my, my faith journey is, is one that may be uh, similar to, to many of the listeners. Um, I grew up in a home where my mum and dad. Uh, loved Jesus uh, and took our took our family to church and uh, raised us up in in faith. And I think my faith kind of became real, and I kind of discovered it when I was a, a teenager. I remember I was at a, a Baptist youth weekend away, uh, and my my friends were wanting me to go down to the the Kaylee and the party that was happening downstairs. But I I felt the Lord uh, saying something to me at, at that point in my life. And, and I think since then, going to university, um, again, maybe like many people at university uh, think mm -hmm. they, they think they've got all the answers. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I, I guess as life has gone on, I've kind of realized that maybe I don't have all the answers. So I think my, my faith now looks like um, uh, being involved and in serving in a, a small community church in Edinburgh. Um, living with, uh, I guess, my hands quite open to hear God's from a whole range of different people um, and uh, different ways that God speaks to us uh, and, and trying to trying to follow Jesus's example uh, in, in the midst of all of that. And of course, you find yourself um, working for International Justice Mission, um, which is an outworking of your faith and gives you an ability to to, to live out that service in a very particular way. So tell me a little bit about International Justice Mission, about what, what they do and what drew you to them. Yeah, so, so I think what drew me to them is uh, kind of connects with my, uh, I guess, life and faith story as well. 
And I mentioned my mum earlier. She was the type of individual in our churches who uh, signed, uh, hands around lots of petitions to get signed, uh, organises the local hustings in the area to be held at the church. Um, and I think something of her influence really impacted me at, at a young age. I then went to university where I studied law. Um, I quickly became disillusioned with the law <laughs> and decided not to go down that path. Um, so went to Bible college uh, to study theology. Um, and I guess it was really a coming together of my upbringing, um, my study of the law and my study of theology that kind of led me to a place where I was asking God, what do you want me to do in life? And, and at that point, I really came across the work of IJM, um, mm. an organization that really blends all of those things together quite, quite nicely. For the listeners who don't know uh, IJM, we were uh, founded about 25 years ago uh, in 1997. And, and I guess the, the statistic that I often say, which kind of frames the context for our work, is that um, it's estimated that about 5 billion people, 5 billion people live outside the protection of the law uh, mm. in our world. Um, and, and what that means is that, you know, well over half the world's population are uh, live in constant vulnerability to acts of violence. And it also means that people who carry out violent acts live with almost complete impunity. So, wow. so that statistic kind of really sets the, the scene for IJM and really what we've been doing as an organization. Really in our first 10 years, we were trying to work out, is it possible to get justice for an individual mm. who has been wronged in the context of a broken justice system? And over that 10 years, we found out it was. Um, the second 10 years, um, it was really putting the model to the test. Is it possible to impact brokenness and justice systems so that they work more effectively? And across multiple uh, projects in different parts of the world, we find you know, reductions in the prevalence of crime of up to 86%. And really the season we're in now at IJM is taking what is a, a kind of proven um, uh, model uh, of intervention coming alongside issues of violence and modern day slavery. And we want to take it to scale through uh, partnering with a whole range of partners in the work that we do. Well, Andy, what I'd love to do in a moment is just ask you to talk us through what that proven model of intervention actually looks like for us. But yeah. there's obviously a real context at the moment in the midst of the World Cup in Qatar, a place with a, should we say, a dubious human rights record and in particular on the issue of forced labor and labor exploitation. Just for the benefit of listeners, very, very briefly, can you tell us what Qatar's record is on that and why we should be concerned? Yeah, well, I think it's, it's very clear to see, um, you know, even from the coverage of the World Cup, uh, the BBC, the ITV pundits, uh, or even the news coverage and the reports in advance of Qatar, just as, you know, to the, the claims that are being made and the reports that are being made as, as to migrant workers and the death of migrant workers. Mm. Um, it's, it is awful to read this and it's, it's really, really shocking. And the work of IJM, I guess, uh, we, we don't work in Qatar itself mm -hmm. and in the Middle East, but what we're seeing, some of the themes coming out of the World Cup is really symptomatic of mm. the issue of forced labour and exploitation that we see in 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 all different parts of the world. Um, and I guess like, why, why should we care uh, about mm. this? Uh, I mean, it's, it's potentially quite obvious why we should care. And this, I think, you know, ties back to 
a bit of the DNA of what God is, uh, who God is, uh, the God in, we see in scripture. Um, we see that he's a God of justice. Um, he's not only a God of justice, but he also calls his people, you know, you and me, Tim, and the listeners and, and the church to be a people of justice. And, you know, there's something of um, the story of slavery and the story of um, emancipation or freedom that actually runs like throughout our Bible as well. Like we think of the Exodus story. Um, so we are, you know, we are freedom people. So, you know, we should be passionate about raising our voice in a whole range of different issues, regardless of, of, of where we work or, or where we play. We've spent a lot of time, I think, in our communities, in our own circles, and certainly within the media, um, mulling over the extent to which it's kind of okay to watch the World Cup in Qatar, even on our television screens, with a, with a clean conscience. Now, obviously, this isn't the first time the World Cup's been held in a country whose human rights record was poor. I'm thinking of Argentina in 1978, only mm. shortly after a, a coup and a brutal dictatorship was in power. And of course, in Russia, just um, uh, four years ago, they spring to mind. So where, where do we draw the line? Can Christians watch the World Cup today, for example, with a clean conscience? Well, it's a great question, Tim. And I've like I have been very much wrestling with this one because I am a huge fan of the World Cup um, and I'm coming into this year's World Cup just a bit all over the place and, and not really knowing how to how to come alongside this. Um, I guess one of the challenges of the world that we live in just now is that we are so like interconnected um, to a whole range of different countries, a whole range of different situations. So to a certain extent, you know, we might be paralyzed to do anything if we look beneath the surface of, of lots of different things, you know, World Cups included. Um, but I think where the responsibility lies is actually to to use these things as a bit of a vehicle to, to, to speak up on these issues. Um, you know, one of the great things that have has, you know, come out of this World Cup is actually lots of people are uh, aware of issues of forced labor exploitation. And lots of people, including major media outlets, are, are speaking about this. So um, so I think with all of these things, the challenge now is not only it is really going from a position of awareness uh, to then a position of action about doing doing something about it. A mucky business with Tim Farron. We're speaking to Andy Bevan, Chief Advocacy and Impact Officer for the charity International Justice Mission UK. Andy, we talked just before about Qatar and the record of human rights there, particularly on forced labour and slavery. To what extent is this happening beyond Qatar? And, and how what does it look like? And how do these issues happen? How do these things come to be? Yeah, well, the International Labour Organization recently uh, produced a report that charts the, the estimated number of those living in slavery as, you know, close to 50 million, wow. um, which is quite, quite mind boggling when you realise that each of, you know, uh, each of that number has a has a face and has a has a story and has has a community. Mm. So about fifty million live in in uh, slavery around the world. Um, over half of that number live in in forced labour slavery, um, and that can really present itself in a whole range of different ways. It can touch a whole range of different industries, from you know construction uh, to uh, agriculture um, to hospitality. 
um, you know, to the fishing industry, which then, you know, the, the products kind of fill our supermarkets. So there's a whole range of, of different issues that it, that it touches on. And people usually find themselves in that position through um, really being told a lie uh, by the, the trafficker or the, the recruiter. You know, there's a, a promise of a, of a job. Um, and then when that individual arrives, uh, they find out the reality is, is very different. They're not paid mm. promised wages. They're, they have their passports taken off them. They uh, find themselves living in, in awful conditions. Um, and, and IGM is really on the kind of front lines of, of this work, coming alongside forced labor slavery in, in a number of parts of the world. I guess a, a couple just briefly to highlight um, our work in South Asia. Um, comes alongside the issue of uh, forced labour slavery, but uh, we all we we often see that in the form of what we call bonded labour slavery, when someone has a debt to repay, mm. and they're you know often them and their family uh, are forced to come and work in a brick kiln, for example, uh, for an indefinite period of time, um, and the debt is never repaid, and you know that debt is then held against that individual, but also their their family. So we we've worked with. Uh, generations of families who have been held in forced labor slavery as a result of the debt. Um, and, and then in, in our uh, work in Southeast Asia, in the APAC region, um, we're coming alongside the issue of forced labor in, in global supply chains as well. Mm. So our, our work started there at partnering with, partnering with the Walmart Foundation. Um, and they, they partnered with IJM to, to do a bit of a study into the prevalence of trafficking in the fishing industry in Thailand. And we saw that well over 30% are likely to have been trafficked. So it's a huge problem in our world. Would you say, we talk about your interventions, which we're really interested to hear about. Is that what it looks like going through supply chain, looking at larger, you know, reputable um, end, end of chain actors like Walmart um, so that they... Uh, scrutinize and then take action over their supply chain to make sure forced uh, labor isn't part of it. Is, is, what other ways are interventions happening? Yeah, I think that is certainly one way, Tim. Um, I think, to be honest, it needs a whole range of different things. It's the whole body working working as one uh, to come along to come alongside this issue. So, mm. so one way is is certainly coming alongside the big corporates and increasingly. So people are aware of. You know, or asking the questions, where has my coffee come from? Where has my seafood come from? So, so actually saying that to corporates and saying, you know, we as IJM, you know, might be in a position to help you think this through, you know, could, could be a way of, of coming alongside this. And at IJM, our, our model is really to partner with public justice systems mm. um, around the world. So we, at the different pillars of the justice system, so uh, it might be the lawyers, the, the prosecutors, it might be the, the judges and the courts, it might be the social workers um, or the, the, the police and the kind of law enforcement. And really what we do is we uh, partner with the justice systems to take on individual cases. Um, and then when we take individual cases through the justice system, we begin to see where some of the, the blockages are, some of the capacity challenges, resource challenges are. And really... Then over many years, we we seek to partner with the justice system to remove those blockages and come alongside those needs so that laws can be enforced. And, and most importantly, you know, um, people who who might have been victim of violence mm. before would, would, would never be a victim in the first place. Now, 
it begs the question, of course, you're the International Justice Mission UK. What about the UK? Is forced labour an issue here? It is indeed, Tim, yeah. Um, we, about three years ago, IJM started our European anti-trafficking programme, um, which is a, a cross-border programme uh, currently based in, in Romania um, and uh, with presence in the UK, Netherlands and Germany. And really what we're seeing there is an ever-increasing number of cases that we're seeking to come alongside, both uh, in, in the areas of sexual exploitation, uh, but then also more broadly forced labour. So, so in, a, in a UK context, what we're seeing is um, uh, trafficking into construction sites, uh, into agricultural facilities. Um, so, re so really a, a whole range of industries into ho hospitality as well. Um, into forced criminal activities like the cultivation of, of mm. cannabis. That, that, that's how it kind of presents itself in, in mm. the UK. And really so far what we're seeing um, through the casework and the work that we're doing is I guess three big gaps that we're seeking to come alongside. Um, one is like the continuum of care for survivors of trafficking. So when they're identified in the UK and then are later repatriated back to their home country. Uh, to stop those individuals simply just falling off a cliff and being re-trafficked, they need a continuum of care, mm. both you know social services but but legal services uh, services as well. Mm. And we're we're seeing gaps in law enforcement collaboration across uh, across Europe. Um, you know, individual police services might be doing good work, but actually that it really needs to join up when it comes to cross border trafficking. And I guess a, 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 just a final gap that we're seeing is, is the whole area of survivors engaging in the criminal justice system. And mm. we want to support individuals to do that so that they can get access to justice and compensation and, and the services that they deserve. Ali, just as we get towards our, at the end of our conversation, a, a double question for you um, that I think we'd all be really interested to hear the answer to. First is, what do you think British politicians like myself and others should be doing to take action to tackle these issues? And then also, how can our listeners get involved? How can they help to deal with these terrible injustices? Great, well, great questions, Tim. So firstly, in the political sphere, um, we at IJM are excited by some of the legislation um, that is in the pipelines for 2023, particularly the, the Modern Slavery Bill. Um, some of your listeners might know the Modern Slavery Act of 2015. Um, you know, there's a, a bill on the table to, to, to further develop that. Um, later in the year, it's also likely that the Victims Bill is going to come to Westminster, uh, which is looking at, you know, victims of crime and how to really come alongside them. And really across those two bits of legislation, what we're, what we're asking for is increased support uh, for survivors, uh, you know, some of the issues that I mentioned before that we're seeing in our cross-border program, we want to see support for survivors in, embedded in a, in a more tangible way. Um, we want better avenues for accountability uh, for traffickers, and we've got a few ideas of how to do that. And then I guess linking to the broader issue of kind of supply chains, we want to see supply chains provisions boosted in the Modern Slavery Act as well to, to better navigate this issue of mm. slavery and global supply chains. Um, and finally, just for your uh, listeners, we at IJM have a, a resource called the Make Slave Free Normal, 
uh, resource. And, and mm -hmm. as part of that, we have a slave free series, um, which is a five part video series that individuals or groups of people can, can work through to explore the whole area of um, slavery and supply chains and how to make good decisions. Andy, thanks for what you do and for your time with us. Thank you, Tim. Each week, we give you the opportunity to ask any question that you'd like about this mucky business of politics. It may be how an aspect of this world impacts us Christians who work within it, or maybe there's a particular issue that you're struggling to make sense of. Well, I'd love to hear from you and attempt an answer. So please drop me an email to farron at premier.org.uk. This week, Daniela in Greenwich sent in this question. She asks, we are all encouraged to live out our faith in the workplace, but also advised to be cautious about it. Have you ever offered to pray for someone or had someone ask you to pray for them? It is a great question, Daniela. And I mean, the short answer is yes and yes, but being wise about when you choose to do it. To someone who's not a Christian um, who presents a concern or a problem that they're going through, it might be a health related issue or relationship related issue. Um, or something else all the same uh, if you say I'll pray for you outright then it's possible that person will think that that is a little thing or a or a weird thing I think demonstrating your concern and you know, your practical love for them um, in other ways but then also saying look I'll, I'm, I'll, I'll, I shall pray for you uh, I don't think I've ever prayed with a colleague um, who wasn't a Christian uh, when uh, those circumstances arise, but I've regularly prayed for them and often told them. But when it comes to my service of my constituents, my workplace, if you like, with the thousands of people that we serve in the Lake District and in the Dales, my approach often is to, I do pray for people uh, who are in desperate need and I often won't tell them. <laughs> um, although in some occasions when people have really borne everything over to me, people in desperate need, financial need, a visa problem, homelessness, then obviously I will do everything I can practically to help. Once it's clear that I'm doing those things, I might also then offer, look, I'll be praying for you also. Often I won't tell them, but I'll do it anyway, because let's remember that, you know, the Lord is the Lord of the workplace too. The Lord is the Lord of every situation that I might be involved with. I think it's good to bring things to people in prayer. You don't always need to tell the people you've prayed for that you've prayed for them because the one who matters knows. If you have a question for Tim, email farron at premier.org.uk. Well, let's close our time together in prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, um, we are delighted to be reminded that you are a God of justice and you are angry and concerned when there is injustice in your world. We thank you for... Andy Bevan and for the work of International Justice Mission UK um, for the heart that they have for those who are oppressed, those who are in forced labour, in what we refer to as modern slavery. And Lord, we lift up to you the five billion people on this planet who live outside protection of the law in any effective way. We thank you for inter International Justice's mission in trying to provide protection for people who are otherwise exploited. Lord, I pray you'd help us, each one of us, to examine our hearts and examine our spending habits and the supply chains that lead to the materials that we consume. Are they um, clean? 
Are they uh, done in ways where people are being paid properly and have freedom? Or is there slavery? Is there forced labor in the supply chain of the things that we take for granted, that we buy and that we use? Lord, I pray you'd help us to see these issues, uh, expose them to us and help us to act justly. And Lord, we just pray you'd strengthen the work of International Justice Mission, that you strengthen their reach and their influence, uh, that you bless their interventions and that people be liberated from slavery. Lord, thank you that you are the one who redeems those of us from slavery to sin and death. And we pray uh, that as you do that, you would help us to have your heart for those who are oppressed. And in Christ's name, we ask all these things. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this week's show. Don't forget, you can catch up on past episodes which feature interviews with party leaders, former government ministers and MPs from all the major parties. Just search for A Mucky Business on your chosen podcast provider or head to premierchristianradio.com forward slash A Mucky Business. Thanks ever so much.